use as a subject today a mother's influence. A mother's influence. All of us are here today partly or in totality based on the influence that our mothers or grandmothers or some aunt had on our lives. We are not here on our own. And it's just good that there are opportunities that are built into the schedule, built into the calendar to remind us that other people helped us to get to where we are. And when you start looking at your family dynamics, many of us can say we are where we are, we are who we are because of a loving mother who nurtured us, who encouraged us, who even disciplined us to help us be the person that we are today. And if there's nothing else, periodically we need to say to her, thank you, mom. And, and that's important because we're living at a time now where they're not mothers like they used to. Come on up in here. Uh, these folk who are 15 and 16 year olds when they become a mother don't know what mothering is like. These folk who are 30 and 35 and they are grandmother don't know what mothering or grandmothering is all about. But our society coaches litter with people in those age groups who really don't understand because of decisions that they have made uh, that have put them in the position of being a mother biologically. But that doesn't make them a mother spiritually, and it doesn't make them the kind of mother that provides nurture. It's hard for a child to raise a child. Okay, you 15, 13, 14, 15, you're still a child. I know you think you're grown, but you're still a child. And there's some, there's some life experiences that you don't have, one of which is patience. 13, 14, 15, doesn't have patience. Another of which is being unselfish. Now, a real mother would take you, when you have a baby, a child you got raised, you're going to have to give up some stuff. So you're 13, 14, you still want to go out on dates. You want to hang out with your friends. But you got a baby at home that's crying. Okay, you don't like that. Let me get on with my lesson. So let me, let me take you back on a little trip, uh, nostalgia-wise. And I'm going to put up some pictures uh, and say, uh, I wonder, do you recognize these individuals? So media, go ahead and go to slide number two. Do you remember these people? Uh, you remember Claire Huxtable from the Cosbys? Uh, do you remember Olivia Walton from the Waltons? Now, some of you grew up watching the Waltons. Uh, do you remember Florida Evans from Good Times? Uh, do you remember Donna Reed from the Donna Reed Show? Now, I, I put those up to remind us of the images that we used to see as relates to mothers. And you contrast that with the images that you see in media today of mothers, there's a big difference. Now, one of the main ones that you see uh, in these women on the TV programs that they were a part of, they were all married. Okay. They, they were all married. There was a husband there. The images that the media puts this to us today about mothers is women who aren't married, who don't want to be married, who don't want a man telling them anything, but they want to pay their bills. And so we have had a shift, whether we realize it or not, or it has gradually uh, creep, crept upon us, that now the images that are being portrayed are, are of independent people, many of whom are not godly. They're popular. Their shows may be popular. But the morals are not the same. 
And think about what that's going to produce in the future. I want to take us back in, in the lesson to really a, a time where the word of God was honored in our homes. And mothers prioritized being mother. It, it was something special to be a mother. You didn't mind sacrificing those 8, 10, 12 hours, 24, whatever number of hours you were in labor. You didn't enjoy the labor pains, but when the little bundle of joy came out, didn't you, didn't you cry, didn't you smile? Okay, you guys forgotten what it was like. Okay. So our values were shaped by the fact that we understood that when I became, or when you became a mother, you took on a whole level of responsibility that you had to grow up and take on. Because this person, their well-being was in your hands. Now, you had the father, the husband there to help you, but come on, we all know, mothers spend the, the majority of the time with the children. Dad is out working, uh, he's doing other kinds of things, and we need to understand God has created male and female different. So it is w within a woman's just biology to nurture and care for children and be compassionate. That's not necessarily in a man's that you gotta work at that. And so sometimes we try to turn a man into a woman wow. and, and have him do all the nurturing and whatnot. It doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, so the man has a role there in terms of the discipline and structure and, and teaching a child how to be independent and thinking and stuff like that. But it takes all of that mother and father. And that's why as you uh, plan to have your children or don't plan to have, you need a man in your life, mothers, for your well-being but also for the well-being of your children. Because we need to be careful of the examples that we are encouraging by behavior that we make. Because we got children growing up who they don't think there's anything wrong with being an unwed mother. Because that's what they've seen generationally. Every woman in the house has had children and no husband around. But is that biblical? Is that spiritual? Is that in the long-term best interest of the child? And it does not matter if you grew up in that environment. Because some of us grew up in that environment. But you got to recognize what does God want versus what the world wants. And the fact that this has been my experience growing up does not mean it was the best experience. It was an experience. And we have to recognize you had no choice if you were a child. That's just the environment you grew up in. But you do have a choice now that you're an adult and now that you are at that point where you're going to have or thinking about having your own family. So we can't control the things that have happened to us in the past, but we, we can control where we go with that and how we let it impact uh, our lives. So let me give you some, some realities in 2023. 20, uh, and, and one of those realities is that every mother is not a good mother. And I know on, on Mother's Day, we want these nice, sweet sermons and all that kind of, but you guys know I always put a twist to my Mother's Day and Father's Day lessons. I put a twist to them because the folk I'm preaching need a twist uh, to wake us up, to get us out of some of these ruts of sin that we've gotten into and, and be reminded of what God's standard is. So every mother is not a good mother. And we, you need to be honest about that. Some mothers need help in order to nurture and train their children. And who better to do that than a Christian family? That when you see a mother struggling, I appreciate uh, over the years when I've seen uh, mothers who had an unruly child uh, in worship service, and some of you older sisters had just taken the child from the mother and gone outside and, and you know, calmed the child down. Because it was obvious the mother didn't know what to do. 
and everybody in worship was getting annoyed by this baby crying. You know, we don't like to say it, but you let a baby cry for more than two or three minutes, some heads are going to start turning. <laughs> and, and what we're thinking is, woman, can't you quiet your own baby? Now, come on, you feel that, you think that, you just don't, you're too holy to say it. So I'm saying it for you. So, but every, every mother's not a good mother. And, and sometimes that's the case because they didn't have a good example of a mother themselves. So, so people are in certain situations not because that's how they're intending it to be, but that's what they learned growing up. You got to recognize that Mother's Day is not always a happy day. We got some people who grew up with a bad mother, but we got some people whose mothers have died. And so you want to get up and congratulate every mother and give them flowers and cards and stuff like that, but you got that person who's thinking about, my mother's not here and how much I miss my mother. And for those of us whose mothers are still alive, you do not know what that person is going through. And you won't know un until your mother dies. And then you got a whole new awakening of this. So every Mother's Day is not always a happy day. You, you got single people who are part of our congregation. And, and we go so much on the extreme of mothers and having babies and whatnot that we, if we're not careful, we'll make single people uncomfortable. You got to recognize congregation is made up of women who have children and women who uh, don't have children, but you also got women who don't want to have children. Amen. You, you got to recognize that you got women who don't want to have children. Uh, and so you got to create a balance on this thing. Now, now, to help us with that, I make this statement that motherhood is not a requirement for godliness. Amen. Just because you're a mother does not make you a godly. It just makes you a mother. And it doesn't make you a good mother. Your biology is what allows you to be a mother. And then let's look at the fact that everyone, every woman is not meant to have children. And so you have to be careful with that because you got women who can't have children but who want to have children. And days like this and other days remind them of what they want but what they can't biologically have. And so you'll see a woman who wants to have a child but who can't have a child, and you look at another woman who's got three or four of them and doesn't know how to take care of them. And you say, oh, well, you can just adopt children and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, that is an option, but if you want your own biological children, it, it, it takes you a while to let go of that reality and to consider uh, these other options that are out there. And so I, I mentioned that just so we are aware that there are other perspectives on Mother's Day uh, that many times we don't think about because we're just looking at our own situation. So to help us really just reminisce, uh, there are three passages that were read earlier, uh, one from 2 Timothy, one from Psalms, and then one from Proverbs that I want to use really to help remind us of what biblical mothering is all about and where our focus ought to be, uh, uh, where your focus ought to be as mothers and even uh, men as you are looking to marry a woman. Have some conversation with her about her views on motherhood because she may not want to have children. And she may say, if I have them, you're going to have to take care of them.
That, that's the reality of the people that are growing up today. It's not the same as it once was. And it is difficult, challenging for a man to fill that role. It's not that he can't, but it's challenging for that to happen. And I am thankful that regardless of whatever situation a woman finds herself in, there are loving people at the congregation who will support her and encourage her and do what's necessary to help her with their children. And all of us ought to be thankful for that. I am thankful to be in a part of a congregation where people will adopt other folk children. And you will become a second mother, a third mother, or grandmother to children who don't have that support system around. That's demonstrating godliness. So Paul, in writing to Timothy in the second letter, in verse second letter of Timothy, chapter 1, verse number 5, Paul says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dealt first, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. So as Paul is writing to the young preacher Timothy and seeking to encourage him, he reminds them, Timothy, I know the spiritual stock you came from. And every now and then, we need to be reminded of the faith and the faithfulness of our parents. And that needs to motivate us to hang on in there and don't quit, don't give up. Uh, deal with the situations that are challenging to you because it's too easy to quit. It, it's very easy to quit in the world in which we live in. So Paul says, I remember. So Paul knew these ladies. So I remember the faith that's in Lois. And Lois was Timothy's grandmother. I remember the faith in your mother Eunice. There's something special about knowing the people that you worship with. There's something special about having relationships uh, with those that you can speak to their life situation because you know them. You know their parents. You know their siblings. You know their extended family. And sometimes you're able to use those associations to help motivate people to strive to be better. And Paul says, what, what I remember most is the sincere faith that was there. We need to see men and women of faith. We need to see men and women who are faithful. We hear a whole lot of people who talk about faith and who talk about faithfulness, but how many times do we actually see faithfulness lived out in people's lives? Because that's what we need to do. That's what's going to... Uh, help us to have influence over people. So sincere faith carries the idea of genuine faith without hypocrisy. And so children, as they grow, need to see mothers and fathers that come to worship because they want to be there. Children, when they're growing up, need to see mothers and fathers who read and study their Bibles because they want to do that. Children need to see mothers and fathers who have biblical discussions because they're excited about what they're, the biblical truths that they're learning. And their children are hearing this uh, discussion, this excitement going on. It becomes contagious to them. So you can't expect children to get excited about Bible class when there's no Bible class that goes on at home, where nobody even picks up a Bible. Where when we come to church services, we leave the Bible in the car. And we do that because we're too lazy to take it in the house. 
and we leave it in the car because so we know we're subject to forget it next Sunday. So Paul says that there's some genuine, sincere faith. And, and it started with your ancestors. It started with your mama and your grandmama. And so I like this dynamic duo here. Because some of us, we are where we are, not only because of what mama did, but also what grandmama did. And we put mama and grandmama together, and they're spiritual. You got an awesome team that's going to help ground a child in the faith. And as Christian mothers, one of the, the responsibilities and challenges you need to know is that God expects you to help your children grow in their faith. So as you are concerned about their academics and you're concerned about their social skills and whatnot, don't forget they need to grow in their faith. First of all, they need to have faith. But as they develop faith, and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, then they start living that out, even as child, even as children in your home. And I've said this many, uh, many times, a child who grows up in the church of Christ, by the time they 8, 9, 10, 11, all to be a Christian. If this is all they've been hearing all their lives, And every now and then you ought to just survey people in the congregation who have grown up in the Church of Christ, not those of us who came to it later. And you'll see many of them came to faith early in life. Well, if this is what you're hearing and this is what you see practiced, should, should, shouldn't, shouldn't, should we be surprised if at 8, 9, or 10 they're asking us about baptism? Now, you, the parent, may not be prepared for that because that means you've got to straighten up. And my prayers, I hope no parent puts a stumbling block in the path of their children when they want to become a believer. And because you don't want the responsibility of having to bring in a Bible class and do what you know is right, you, you just uh, ignore that. Too many children are dying. Too many mass shootings at school for you to have that kind of attitude. We ought to do all that we can to make sure our children and grandchildren have a relationship with God because you and I don't know where they're going to meet death. It's not just old people dying. As young folk die, children die. And since, by the way, we all are going to die, we ought to be in Christ when the time comes. But, but Paul is commending the influence that uh, Eunice and Lois had on Timothy because Paul recognizes how useful and valuable this young man is to the church. But he recognizes that his growth and development were nurtured by his home life. 2 Timothy chapter 3.15, uh, Paul would say that, Timothy, you knew the scriptures as an infant. So, so imagine a child, young child, growing up, and they're being taught the word of God at one and two and three years old. How solid and grounded they will be, really, uh, as a preteen, not, let alone not a teenager. And the reality is we need to start investing in our young people. And so if we do that, then we ought to have them teaching Bible classes. They can teach the younger children. I appreciate what Sister Jordan and others are doing in our children's church. And we have some teenagers and preteens helping down there. That is giving them an opportunity to utilize the information and skills that they have, uh, helping, uh, helping um, instruct other people. You got to find a way to recognize these children that we're raising godly uh, in the faith. We need to give them an opportunity to serve and minister, not just sit on the pew. 
not just come to youth activities, but do some activities that allow them to get involved in putting their faith in action. So for those of you who are planning to be mothers, hoping to be mothers down, uh, sometime in the future, recognize that you can start training your children in godliness, even when they're crawling around on the floor. You know, let them listen to some spiritual music. Read them Bible stories. Teach them the, the basics of who Jesus is, who God is. Talk to them about the creation. Talk to them about the room that they are blessed with, the fact that God uh, is the one who allows us to have this house or this apartment. And God is the one who allowed us to buy all these toys you got around here. Oh, and by the way, God is the one who allows us to have the food that you're eating up in the house. Help it to be real to them. And again, as Lois and Eunice did this with Timothy, look at what Timothy becomes. Timothy becomes a preacher. Now, now we need to recognize preachers and elders and deacons, while they are born physically, they're also made that way. And if you want to have a good preacher, a good elder, you need to start early, helping him. And mamas, you're the best person to do that. In Psalms 127, where the writer helps us understand what's necessary to build a house or to build a home, the psalmist says in verse number four, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. And I said this at uh, 8 o'clock, and I want to say it again. The time to have children is when you're in your 20s and 30s, where you got some strength, and you can fall on the ground and wrestle with these little jokers, and you can run around in a yard. Uh, one of the consequences of the culture we live, you're 40 and 50 years old having children. You can't do much with them. When you're aching and you got arthritis and all that kind of stuff, and they got all this energy, now, come on, some of you, uh, you, you're in your late 30s, and you're already worn out with them. So you have that energy when you're young, your 20s and your 30s and things like that. Uh, and those of you who are going to wait and, and start your families when you're 40 and 45, you're gonna, you know, when you do that, come back and talk to me. And those of you who had a child or two in your 20s and 30s, then you wait and have a second one, there's a whole different way you raise them. It's a whole different way you raise them. And if you don't believe me, talk to the children. The, the older set will say, you're not the same mama uh, that, that I had with, with, this, with my younger brother or sister. You let them get away with everything, and, and you held us to everything. So that's just an aside. That's free marital counseling and family planning for you all. But he says, like arrows. He reminds us that children are like arrows. Uh, children are like arrows that an archer uses uh, with his bow, uh, and he pulls the bowstring back uh, to send those arrows in certain directions. So we need children for success. Uh, we need to point children in the right direction. Uh, children need to be sharpened, and, and they are there for defense and support. So let me, let me just clarify what those ideas are about. Too many times parents think they're going to live forever. One of the benefits of having children is when you get old and you can't take care of yourself, you have somebody who has a responsibility and obligation. Hopefully they love you enough to come to your aid. 
because really what they are doing for you or doing for us when we get old is what you did for them when they were young and couldn't take care of themselves. And, and so you do not help your children by not helping them to understand they have some responsibility to mom and dad. And when mom and dad get old and sickly, we need you to help take care of us. I'm amazed that a mother and father can take care of 10 children and let that mother and father get old and get sickly and 10 children are nowhere to be found. And so parents, mothers, as we're raising our children, let's help them have a sense of responsibility and accountability. Stop spoiling them. Stop giving them everything they want because in real life, nobody gets everything they want. And then help them to understand, it, whatever you get, somebody got to work for it. Stuff that doesn't magically fall down from the sky just because you want new clothes and you want to go here, you want to do that. Somebody got to go to work, whether they want to go to work or not. So if you want to be successful in your old age, make sure you're training your children right when they're young. So if you train them right when they're young, they, they, they'll move in with you to help take care of you. Or they'll move you into their house to help take care of you. Or they'll honor you by giving you a stipend. You know, the idea of honor has to do with financial support. And so you're raising right when you get old and you're on a fixed income and whatnot, they'll send you an extra $500 or $1,000 a month. Okay. I guess that's unheard of around here. They're sending somebody to help you just in case there's some bills you got that you don't want to tell them about. And so you just give, hey, mama, this is for you. Do whatever you need to do with it uh, because you supported me when I was growing up. You paid for my college education, and the least I can do is let you benefit from my education. Christian folk are bad at not supporting our elderly. We feel because the church has benevolence, the benevolence is going to do that. You are your parents' benevolence. Right. You got a job. You got a house. You got a car. You're supposed to assist them first. And when whatever you can't do, then you come to the church. We ought not be the first option. And too many times, we're the first option because you didn't raise your children right. So if you want to be successful in your old age, you got to start now pointing your children in the right direction. Teach them what they need to know to be successful in life. Teach them how to clean up a room and recognize you're not going to have maid service forever. Stop being a maid to your children. At a certain point, they need to clean up their room. At a certain point, they ought to be able to wash their own clothes. At a certain point, they ought to be able to walk into the refrigerator and get something out and, and fix a sandwich, at least if they, even if they can't cook. Teach them how to be respectful for other people. Recognize that talking to an adult is not the same as talking to your friend. So you may be okay with a slang with your friend, but to have some respect when you talk to this person who's old enough to be your parent. Sharpen them, because they are going out there interacting with dull folk who have no sense of responsibility when it comes to Christian morals and whatnot. And so mothers, let's help our children in that area. Because if you don't, you will regret it. If you don't, you have a 50 or 60 year old still living in your house. Nope. 
If you don't, you have a 40 or 50 year old bringing their laundry to your house to wash instead of them going to the laundromat. You got enough money, you can go put them quarters in the machine and do your own laundry over there. But you want to come to my house and use my detergent and all that stuff, because you know they're not bringing anything with them. <laughs> you got a big box of detergent or whatnot, you go there next week, half of it is gone, you're trying to figure out what happened. Them grown children that you let come in your house, they used it, wouldn't even replace the bottle. So there's a place for laundromats around here. So them go to the bank, get you a roll of quarters, and you, that's where you wash your clothes. Oh, that's too hard, because I want to help my baby. That's part of the problem. Your baby is 30 years old. He or she is able to fend for themselves, but because you have been crippling them, uh, in your mind, you think they need you. They're using you. They'll come and use, use your stuff for free, and then they go out and buy what they want. But remember, he says, children are like arrows. We got to point them in the direction they need to go. And in the, in the culture we live in, you got to recognize they are learning a whole lot of things out yonder that we need to counteract with good biblical teaching and discipline. Recognize that if we're going to point them in the right direction, we need God in our own life. You cannot raise godly children without God. And hear me well. You can raise good ones. So the question is, do you want a good child or do you want a godly child? Because many of us are settling for good children who know nothing about God. The problem with that is, if you want to see them in heaven, you got to get some God in their life. And so we will talk about all of the successes our children have in social and things like that, and that's good. But what about their spiritual life? What, what, what about their spiritual life? You need to invest in that now while they're young so that when they go off to college and they are exposed to a whole lot of stuff and you can't be with them on the college campus when the parties and all these things are going on or when the bad influences are going on because folk on college campus will take advantage of naive children. And so sheltering your children all their lives while you're at home, you're setting them up for the wolves when they go to college. And then you send them on the other side of the country where you can't get to them in case there's an issue. So if we're going to do what the summit says about sending our children in the right direction, we got to recognize we cannot do it without God. We cannot do it without his word. And so if we want godly children, then we're going to have to get some God in them. And that's going to have to be a priority over a whole lot of other things. We have children who are academically uh, gifted, and they can go to any college they want to. Give them this, they can't even find Genesis. Now, whose fault is that? Whose, whose fault is that? Because we have not been opening up our Bibles outside of worship service. Oh, but you got them a computer so they can hit a button and then Genesis pops up. Okay. But don't you think every now and then they ought to be able to use a real Bible and find some of this and read it for themselves? Or is that too much work to open up the Bible? Proverbs 31, 28. I know you guys want to be first at the restaurant, so let me, let me move on. It's Mother's Day. You got you to get, get your wives and mothers to the restaurant. You want to be there before the crowd starts. 
Proverbs 31, verse number 28 says, Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Her children rise up and call her blessed. So her children here in, in the context is not only her biological children, but it's also those children she has impacted. And a good mother not only impacts her children, but she impacts the children, uh, her, fr- her children's friends. Because they come into your house, they come into your space, they end up staying over your house, your child stays over their house, you know their parents and whatnot. But, but not only that, uh, just the other women that you interact with. A good mother has no problem sharing her wisdom with younger women who may be struggling, or they may not be struggling, but you share, you know, when my child was this age, you know, this is what we did, we had this issue, this is how we overcame it. Now, when, when your children respect you, they're going to talk good about you. Amen. And they're not going to let anybody talk bad about you. Amen. When you have impacted other people's children, and they, they have, those children have come to respect you, they're not going to let folk talk about you any old kind of way. Because even though you're not that biological mother, you have been there. And they, feel, they felt safe in your house, and you're giving them instructions. And so it's worth investing the time and energy. The, the dividends pay off tremendously. Mm-hmm. Because if you live uh, the typical age, you're going to have many years to see if there's any fruit that is grown on the tree. Text says they call it blessed. They speak well of her. I shared with the group at 8 o'clock. Uh, when I was in high school, one of the worst things you could do, well, high school, worst thing you could do is talk about somebody's mama. You remember the mama jokes? The mama jokes got many folk beat up. Now, now come on. Some of you laid hands on some folk who, who said some unkind things about your mother. And, you know, children were playing and all the, But, you know, some of that you just didn't play with. Now, you can talk about daddy all, all, all day long. You say what you want to say about him. But most of us, there's only so much we're going to let you say about our mama. And after that, it's fighting time. Because you know what she's done for you. Amen. You know she's been there. And so the text said they call her blessed. So one of the reasons they would speak well of her uh, is that, one of the ways, rather, is that they will honor her. Mother's Day is one way the world has said to honor your mothers. But those of us who are Christians know we honor our mothers every day. We don't wait to uh, a son in May to do that or someone who's, who's had a mother role in your life. You do what you can for them throughout the year. You don't wait uh, until this one day. And you do that because the person has meant just that much to you. They, they have invested in your life. And other folk won't know because they weren't there. But you know the conversations and you know the advice and counsel. And, and, and so you honor her. You recognize the contribution she's made to you and you do what you can to help her. So if that means picking her up to take her to a doctor's appointment, you do it with no griping. That means running her errands for her, grocery store and all that kind of stuff, or coming over and cleaning up the house for her because she's not able to do that like she used to. You do it with no grumbling. And it also means that you have to do this and make, well, let me just back up. Make sure you marry somebody who values family like you do. 
So that when it comes to doing something for your mother, you don't have to argue with your wife. Why are you doing that for her? I'm, I'm your wife now. Well, she took care of me long before I met you. And you may decide to leave me, but she's still going to be my mama. And, and so we'll marry people or date people who care nothing about their own family, which means they're not going to care anything about your family. And we'll let these people come in and destroy our family relationships. So if you're considering marriage, make sure they care about their mama. Because if they do, then they'll understand that when you need to do things to help yours, and you're not, you're not debating, well, can we take that money out of the bank? No, we're taking it out. We're not even having no discussion. I'll just let you know I sent her $1,000, and you can, you can deal, deal with it how you want to deal with it. But see, if you have that kind of care and concern for your mother as well as your spouse's mother, there won't be no discussion about it. Because as Christians, we know that's a priority. You ought not feel comfortable living the high life and you know your mother's suffering. Got, got doctor bill or medicine, she can't afford to get buy her medicine because she doesn't have the money. And you blowing what it would cost to buy her medicine on a, on a day out. Well, going to, uh, or not to a restaurant for a meal. You guys know when you go out, you go to some of the most expensive restaurants in the area. So honor her. Defend her. Speak well of her. Speak up for her. I appreciate the people who uh, talk to bill collectors and doctors and other people on behalf of their family. You know, people go to the doctor's appointment with their parent because their parents may not understand all the stuff that these people are saying. And they're there to ask the questions that their parents uh, should be asking but don't know how to ask. Is there anything wrong with that? It's the least you ought to do. She went to the school when you got into trouble and defended you. Now, come on. Some of you, uh, the school called your, your, your house and left a mess for your money. She had to come up there and deal with some foolishness on, on, because of you. And then, in addition to honoring her and defending her, they provided for her. And I hope that more and more we're learning that our obligation to our parents is there until either we die or they die. And there's no debate about whether or not we're going to be there. Because you simply do for them what they did for you. And if that means you got to hop a plane at the last moment and pay the high airfare, isn't she worth it? Stop griping and complaining about it. Do what you got to do. Every now and then, uh, for those of us who Mothers is not in that. You need to go to where she is. Check up. And that doesn't mean everybody in the house got to go. She your mama. So your husband doesn't want to go or your wife doesn't want to go because they got to work. That's fine. I'm going. I'll see you when I get back. Because we'll sit around and wait. Uh, well, uh, I can go, but he can't or she can't. And okay, then you wait and then something happens. Now you're all mad at each other. And, and so there, there are some biblical mothers uh, who, who did some things on behalf of their children that I think are worth pointing out because we're talking about a mother's influence. Anybody remember Hannah? Uh, Hannah pointed Samuel in the right direction. Uh, Hannah had been barren, and she prayed to God for a son. Uh, and God gave her one. And, and Hannah said, Lord, because you have been faithful to me, I am giving him back to you. Mm -hmm. Parents, we need to give our children back to God. 
Yeah, he, he blesses us with them, uh, and, and it's, it, we're supposed to be stewards of them, but put them in God's care. Because God can be with them every day of the year, everywhere they go. Right. We can't. Jochebed, you guys remember her? Uh, she developed a plan to save Moses when Pharaoh was trying to kill him. Thankful for mothers who care enough about their children to be concerned about their safety. I know you remember Mary. Mary guided Jesus in his young life. Here's the son of God, and, and God entrusts Mary to bring him into the world. Now, I don't know about you. I, I would think that, that Mary had an easy job. You think Jesus got a whipping? You think Jesus was disrespectful to Mary and Joseph? Uh, you think Jesus disrespected folk in the community? I just find it hard to believe that God would do that. But God entrusted her with the delivery of this, uh, this precious life. And I'm sure having Jesus as her child was a blessing to Mary. Children, your parents ought to see you as a blessing to their life, not a curse. So don't make it more difficult than it already is. There's a challenge raising children already, but children need to fall in line. And sometimes, parents, you need to tell your children, them folk over there, they're not your parents. Your parents live here. Uh, and, and so you may see them let their children do a whole lot of stuff that's not happening at our house. You, you got to help them understand that because they'll come and say, well, my friend down the street, his mama let him do this. And you need to remind that's down the street. That's not here at our house. We already talked about Lois and Eunice. They trained Timothy in the word of God from a young age. And, and Timothy, if we go back to Acts chapter 16, Timothy was well spoken of by the people in the communities that he was part of. And Paul saw something special, and, and Paul brought him into the ministry with him. But it all started with what Lois and Eunice put in Timothy. And they influenced him as it relates to the scriptures. Oh, yeah, and my favorite this morning, anybody remember Naomi and Ruth? Single sisters, Naomi instructed Ruth on how to get a husband. And one of the things that Naomi said is, you go clean yourself up and put some perfume on and put on a good dress. <laughs> That's the Davis translation. <laughs> but go back to Romans chapter 3. She did say, wash yourself, anoint yourself, and put your best dress on or your best garment on. And so some of you want to attract a good man, but you want to dress like anything. And when you dress like anything, that's exactly what you attract. And I need for you to understand, if you want to attract a Christian godly man, you need to dress the way a Christian ought to be. A Christian man is not going to the strip club looking for a wife. He may go there, but he's not looking for a wife. Yeah. Yeah, he may go there, but he's not looking for a wife. And, and so we get, we get caught up on trying to be this image that's projected in media and all that kind of stuff. No, no, when a man marries a woman, he won't take her home to meet his mama. Uh, he wants somebody who knows how to put some clothes on. Yeah, I need to sober you down up in here. Because the reason some of you marry, your marriage end up uh, 
not in the best condition is that the approach from the very beginning was not godly. And so that's what you attracted. And, and you can't switch a man and make him godly if he wasn't godly before you married him. He's going to be what he is. At least he's honest. He was a thug when you marry him, and he's still a thug. You saying all I want is a godly man, but he, he was not godly when you were dating him. And so now he, won't, he doesn't want to come to church services with you. Uh, he doesn't want you to give as you prosper. Uh, he doesn't want you spending a long period of time in the church building for worship services. Are you surprised at that? You know, that's the way he was before. You're the one who was deceived. But I'm thankful for these godly mothers, for the influence that they directed on their children. And to remind them, it's, it's possible to raise young people in the church who stay faithful to God, who don't go to the hog pen on the way. And we act like everybody got to go down that path because you went down that path. No, they don't have to. If we do it the way God said, we'll see more consistency in our children. The reason some of our children want to shack instead of getting married is because that's what they've seen growing up in your house. And so imagine if they see a healthy family. A healthy family where everybody loves God. We don't just talk about it, but we do it. We demonstrate in how we behave and the service that we give and the respect we have for one another. That's going to make a difference. So, so a young girl who sees her father treat her mother with some dignity is not going to settle for some of this riffraff out there. And, and a man who sees his mother treat his father with respect will not tolerate some of these women who got all this mouth on them. I'm just trying to help you. <laughs> I'd rather give it to you now than have to have a counseling session with you after you guys get into trouble. And, and so a mother can have a significant influence on her children. And we need to start seeing that more and more. And not children who, who, are, who are, you know, saying all kinds of, well, she wasn't there, she didn't set the right example, all that old kind of stuff. Uh, recognize we can reverse the curse. We can reverse the curse. So you don't have to be a hypocrite uh, when you come to church services. You can uh, behave the way you do at church because that's how you behave at home. There's a consistency. Your children are not saying, well, who are these people? These are the people I rode to church building with. Everybody's nice and hugging people. Oh, I love you and all that kind of stuff. And then we get in the car and go back to doing what you're doing when you came here. So our children need to see that a relationship with Jesus can change you for the better. That's what they need to see. Not you say it, but they see it in your behavior. They see it in your approach. Uh, they see it in the respect that you give to them. If you want them to respect you, you got to respect them. So as I conclude, how has your mother influenced you? And that's really what I want you to leave here with uh, this afternoon. How has your mother influenced you? And you know that, God knows that, and possibly your mother knows that. Because there comes some time, we just need to be gut level honest about some stuff. Uh, because we'll paint the rosy picture of how we want things to be, but that's not always the way things work. 
And if we want to improve the next generation, we just got to be real about what we went through and learn the positive things and leave the negative things alone. Amen. So question, did, did your mother lead you to Jesus? Did your mother even teach you anything about Jesus? Did your mother give you a Bible? Did your mother uh, talk to you about God and how God is impacting our family? Did your mother encourage you in your educational pursuits? Are, are, are you in the profession you're in today because of encouragement from your mother? Uh, did your mother encourage your spiritual giftedness? Did she encourage you, brothers, young brothers, to get involved in the church? Uh, did she encourage you to maybe want to be a minister or an elder or a deacon? Church leaders start when they're young in the home where parents have to speak well about the role of ministers and church leaders, not acting like it's poison to be one of those things. Because churches are starving for biblical leadership. And if we corrupt our sons when they're young and turn them off uh, from serving in the church, then the congregation is going, uh, going to suffer. That's why we put teenagers to work up in here. If they're Christians and they're gifted, we're going to use them. And we do that so that other young people see these young people serving God. Was your mother a model of what Christianity ought to look like as a wife and a mother? And I recognize when you're a single parent, there's stress associated with working, got to pay bills, there's no man helping you. And, and so a lot of time that you could have spent with your children, you spend that in survival mode. Because bills got to get paid. But recognize your children suffer behind that. And so if you're a single parent who's a part of our congregation, get some of these brothers involved and, and being mentors to your, your sons. You know, walk up to him and say, brother, I need you to help me with my son. With my son. He needs a, a, a strong male role model. And I think you are that person to talk to him. And it's not about every week doing something. Maybe it's just once a month. Or maybe it's going to his sports event at the school and cheering him so he knows you're sitting out there uh, in the audience looking at it. Or whatever the school activity that he may have been involved in or whatever is going on. Now, you can do that even if you got your own children. So let me just conclude by making a, a five points. One is that a good mother will keep Jesus first in her life. Because if she has Jesus first in her life, her children will see it in their lives. A good mother, a good mother models godly behavior to her children. So she will recognize my children are watching me. So my children are watching me when I'm in an argument with their daddy. My children are watching me uh, when I'm on the phone gossiping about some church member. You, you, know, you do know children have good ears. A good mother, sisters, submits to her husband. That is in the Bible, I think. A good mother trains other young women. So I appreciate the strong women's ministry that we have here and, and the many things that you guys do to just help each other. And, and it's not always deliberately set up that way. It's just that you guys share so much that in the course of sharing, good information is just passed on to, to people there who are looking and needing that information. Uh, I can see 
uh, in the years that I've been, I, I see significant growth in some of our sisters. And I know that that, that hasn't been because of the sermons. That's because of their connection with older women and them getting with you one-on-one -on -one or sitting with you uh, in a Bible class, all these special events where, you know, teach me how to do stuff or these nights out that you guys do, these movie nights. Sister Janet, I'm always hearing about stuff that happens at your house when you uh, do the movie nights. It is always good. It's always good. <laughs> but those, are, those things make a difference. And brothers, we can learn from that. Get out of the macho business and act like every time we get together, the only thing we can talk about is sports. Now, we need to talk about our own spirituality. And we need to challenge each other to be better. And then the final thought is that all of this does not happen overnight. So being able to have a godly influence on your children is not something you just wake up one morning uh, after not having done it and thinking it's just going to happen. Because just like adults get stuck in a rut and they get into certain patterns, you know, when you've gone uh, the first 10, 15 years, this hasn't happened. It's not going to change with them, with your children, in a month or two. Because what they have in mind is what they've seen since they've been born. But the good thing is that with the help of God, all things are possible. And, and we're able to right some wrongs or some inconsistencies that were there a long time ago. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm glad God gives another chance. We, we, we long passed a second chance. Some of you are on your thousandth chance. But be thankful that God gives you a thousand. He'll give you, even give you a million chances if you repent and get your heart right. Because he only wants the best for us. And so if our parents are at their best, then the children that come from that union will be at their best. And if the children are at their best, then we have a bright future. I am optimistic about the future of the Bedford Street Church of Christ in Abington, Massachusetts. Am, am I the only one optimistic about our future? We have some good children that we are all pouring into. We're just not leaving it to mom and dad. We got some adopted uh, fathers and big uncles and aunts, uh, and we're all helping because we understand it really does take a village to raise just one. <laughs> and if we all have that mentality and we all do our little part, then we're going to raise some godly young people who are going to not only be successful in their secular fields, but they're going to build up the local congregation. That's right, man. I, I see a congregation of 300 people in 15 to 20 years. Now I probably won't be here then, but my spirit will be with you. <laughs> and those young people who are then, say, I remember when Brother David said, uh -huh. that's good enough for me to just remember what I said. And then you live in it, and you'll know I wasn't talking crazy. That I had a connection with the master. That's why I was able to say that. Because I knew what we were raising, what we were creating, what we were training here is young people who are going to do better than some of us adults. And they're going to do that because we are all investing in them. Well, are you thankful for your mother's influence on your life? Are you thankful for your grandmother's influence on your life? I think I shared this with I was. Uh, 1617, I was in a summer program that had me at Fisk University. Nobody else would write me a letter but my grandmother. My grandmother took the time to handwrite me a letter. 
And that's one of the uh, precious things I have. I'm going to make sure that my family gets it so you can put it in the casket with me when I die. So I take a little piece of my grandmother with me. But it's special things that, that, that parents do that they don't really think a big deal about, but it means a lot to the child. Amen. Like showing up at their activities. And they can look in the stands or look at an audience and see you there with that big smile on your face. And they know they're not, they're not alone. Mm-hmm. And those become the kind of things that we treasure and we try to duplicate with our children. This day, this day, if you have a statement, you have a prayer request, 